Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the Last Line Soccer Podcast, presented to you by Prime Focus Goalkeeping and the Beautiful Game Network. We want to take some time real quick to thank our sponsors for everything they do for us. Prime Focus Goalkeeping is a brand dedicated to bringing goalkeepers of all ages, top quality gloves and apparel, as well as educational goalkeeping content via our social media pages at Prime Focus GK and YouTube channel the Prime Focus Goalkeeping channel, as well as plenty of interviews on our blog, which you can check out on our website at www.primefocusgoalkeeping.com. We also need to thank the Beautiful Game Network for giving us a platform to reach more soccer fans and talk with more great soccer minds. Check out the website, www.bgn.fm, for more great podcasts and written content. So without further ado, let's get this episode going. We've got a very special guest today. He's uh, been ducking and dodging the podcast for the past two months. So we've got him here today. We're going to sit him down and we're going to ask him the hard-hitting questions. So without further ado, we've got the l- new New Mexico United goalkeeper coach, Joel Tyson. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Brandon. Glad I could finally get here and sit down with you. I appreciate you clearing out your busy schedule to come talk to us. Uh, we want to talk a little goalkeeping. We want to talk about what you have going on and uh, your thoughts on a couple goalkeeping situations. But first, I'm going to start like I always usually start. I want to give the guests uh, the mic for a little bit and just give the people a little background into who you are. Who's Joel Tyson? How did he get to where he is? And uh, just what's going on in the future? Sure, sure. Well, uh like most coaches, um, started at a really young age and uh, got into the goalkeeping position uh, fairly early in my career. It wasn't anything like uh, I think a lot of the stories you hear nowadays where they started out in the field and they end up goalkeepers. Uh, but was a was a goalkeeper my whole life. And uh, w- when I got done playing in college, I knew I wanted to coach right away. And so that's kind of what I tried to pursue. Um, I started coaching at Hofstra University. And from there, spent time at, uh, at a couple other Division One schools and programs before getting into the pro game. Um, most recently coached at, at Wofford College and UCF before joining the Charlotte Independents, uh, where I've been the past two years and where I was fortunate enough to be able to work with you this past year. So you were at Hofstra in what, 2009? 2009, that's right. Did the UNCWC Hawks beat you that year? They did. All right, just <laughs> bringing up Bringing up uh, repass memories here. No, so you you worked at a couple college programs, correct? That's right. So was the goal always to get to professional coaching, or was that just an opportunity that came up and you took it? Sure, I think that's a great question. And for me, the goal was never to look beyond what I was doing at that very moment. So for me, the goal was to uh, do the best that I could do, um, provide as much support to the program as I could, whether it be through training the goalkeepers, running fitness sessions, running technical sessions, recruiting, uh, you name it. The, the goal was to always be successful just in the moment and to kind of see what would come from that. And, and that's how I think I've been able to kind of push that into a 10-year you know, career in coaching now is, is I haven't tried to look too far um, over the horizon. It's always been what's right in front of me. How can I be successful at that? I like that. Focus on what you're doing in the moment and the opportunities will come. So let's talk about some of the differences between the college game, coaching in the college game, and then coaching, you know, at the professional level. What what are the major differences for you? Yeah, I think I think the biggest one is probably the most known and the most common one is just the amount of training time that you get uh, at, at the college level. 
um, you know, you know, for the for the detriment of the game, you only get a three month season, and so with that, you only have, I would say, right around thirty to forty training opportunities in a given season. Uh, and obviously, the spring season is there, but um, you know, when you're training, you're training for competitive games. That's where you want to be successful. And, and in the college game, um, those opportunities are are, are too few. And at the professional level. Um, as you know, it's a, it's a year-round um, environment where you're training all the time. Uh, and I would say the, the amount of sessions that you and I run, in particular this past year with Charlotte and in a pro season, you probably get at least 200 training sessions in a given time. So um, the amount of things that you can focus on at the professional level is, is quite a lot more. Um, I do think there's some massive benefits to college soccer, so I don't want it to sound too negative. I just think that the training environment overall from the goalkeeper standpoint is completely different uh, from the professional to the college game. Okay, so you mentioned something at the end there. The You, you mentioned that there's a benefit for the college game, uh, especially for goalkeepers and getting in that environment and getting in those games. So if you're a young kid these days and you have goal, professional aspirations as a goalkeeper, what do you think the path is for them? Do you think that going to college, getting games, getting that experience for three, four years is better than getting into a professional environment right away and possibly working your way up? Yeah, I, and I think that's, uh, you know, that's a, a discussion that, that I've had quite a bit. Um, you know, we, we had a chance to work, and, and I'll use some, some anecdotes to kind of explain that, my, my answer a little bit. In, in short, yes, I think, it's, I think it's paramount for goalkeepers to be in an environment where there's formal training and, and there's games that they can play. Uh, you know, it's no secret that, that goalkeepers, um, you know, like a fine wine, as they say, they progress with, with age, they progress with experience, and that experience is most important when it comes in, in game quality. Um, you know, I use the Colorado Rapids as an example is they had a young goalkeeper a couple years ago who was uh, leaning towards going professional, but at the same time leaning towards going to college. A and the discussion was around, is he going to get enough game opportunities as a pro or will he have that opportunity better at the university setting? And the answer was the university setting, which I think he ended up making the right decision and going that route. Um, but for college goalkeepers, you you learn discipline. Um, I think you learn the mentality side of things where you're going from being the best goalkeeper at the club level to now you're going into a university or college level where you might be second best uh, on, on any given day or in a season and, and you have to fight for your spot, which is which is very typical of the pro setting. So I think you learn the ins and outs of coming in and competing consistently every day. And, and then you also have the opportunity to play in some high level games that, you know, they help. Um, help reduce your mentality, help reproduce your game awareness, your game management, which are all vital skills for, for goalkeepers now. Okay. So I've, I've worked at the college level a bit coaching college goalkeepers, um, but I've never coached at the professional level. And so I've always wondered, what are the main differences in terms of, I won't say controlling because it's hard – that's not really the the right word, but in terms of keeping a goalkeeper's union happy, upbeat, you know, you've got at the college level, you kind of got three or four goalkeepers who are young guys, don't really have their own identities yet. Um, basically, they don't have the egos that professionals have uh, mainly. So what are the challenges and the differences between college uh goalkeeper coaching, trying to keep that union together versus the professional level doing the same thing, trying to keep, you know, guys who have been in the game 10, 12 years, trying to keep them happy and trying to keep uh, a unit 
uh, an environment that's positive and and you can help grow in yeah i think that's uh, i mean i think that's probably one of the the hardest things to to ever really accomplish uh, as a goalkeeper coach is to try and keep you know your stable of goalkeepers all happy um you know, I'll say the obvious statement of the day, which is only one goalkeeper gets to play. Uh, so at the end of the day, ultimately, you're going to have one guy that's, um, I don't want to say content, but he's definitely happy with where he's at if he's the starter. And then you're going to have a, a two and a three potentially who are, uh, you know, who are probably not as happy. I, I think the biggest thing at the college level or the professional level, it doesn't matter which one, is that the communication from the goalkeeper coach has to be clear concise and consistent with, with what the goal, what the head coach is saying as far as what are the roles and responsibilities of the goalkeepers. So th there's a definitive response in terms of um, this is the number one, this is why he's the number one. Uh, you're the backup goalkeeper. We have complete trust and confidence in you, but this is why you're the backup. And then if you're the number three, it's a complete understanding on on why you're the number three and what you know potential deficiencies you have and, and what you can do to improve. Um, for me personally, and I can I can only speak for myself and my experiences as a goalkeeper coach is at the professional level. I think that there is a I think there's a little bit more of a professional understanding and maturity in a goalkeeper group where maybe they recognize the situation of, hey, I'm a rookie. I need to continue to develop my skills. I'm not quite ready. Or maybe it's a situation where they feel like you know the, the the backup feels like he's on par with the starter but he, he recognizes he needs to wait for his his opportunity and when it's there to to take advantage of it whereas i think maybe in the college aspect i've seen is there's not always a full understanding of why potentially the starter is the starter and the backup is the backup um you know i think maybe sometimes those decisions are taken more personally than they need to be Whereas I think the professionals, I feel like that that's exactly what they are. They, they understand it for what the decision is, and, and they don't have to like it, but they understand it, uh, respect it, and they can potentially you know move past it. Um, but for me as a goalkeeper coach, that the job itself is to communicate effectively with, with every single goalkeeper and uh, make sure that their needs are being met. So if the starter's needs are met at the end of the session and the backup needs extra work, that means I always am able to be there for him to, to provide that type of uh, support. And, and that's, that's no different from the college or the professional aspect. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I've been in a couple environments where I haven't really felt like, I, I don't want to say that. I've, I want to say I haven't been in a situation very often where um, I think f when we worked together this year, I felt like you were always, like you said, you're always there to do extra work, whether it's the number three, number two, or the number one. Um, and I've been in environments before where it's not really that way in terms of if the number two or the number three wants to get extra work, he depends on field players to do it. They depend on each other to do it, whereas the goalkeeper coaches off. Whatever the one, number one needs, he gets. And then after that, you guys you know, kind of do your thing. So I think that's an important distinction in terms of uh, a great goalkeeping environment and a great goalkeeping coach is just like not so much focusing on just one person in a goalkeeper union it's a goalkeeper union for a reason and they're all three there to develop because at any given time all three could get playing time and all three could step in and you need them to be able to perform so uh that's the when i was a goalkeeper coach that's the one thing i found challenging uh when i was working with uh, penn state harrisburg it was just I had four young goalkeepers who all needed work, who all needed to, 
you know, focus on different aspects of the game, but I only had a certain amount of time with them. Like you said, the college season's only three months, three, three and a half months, and so you only get so many train sessions. Um, and it's hard. It's hard to focus on what goalkeeper A needs when goalkeeper B needs something totally different and goalkeeper C is just on a whole nother page. So trying to mesh that together and to build a training session that's going to help them all develop in those areas as well as stay sharp in the areas that they're already good at. Uh, that's the biggest challenge I found. I don't know if, the, you know, the, well, that's a huge challenge for you. You're 10 years in the game, so I know it's probably second nature for you now, but um, for me, that was just one of the biggest things that I, I found challenging. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that is that is the biggest challenge. And I think for 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 me, the thing that's been most helpful and the thing that I kind of left out in, in the last question that I was asked was and I, is how can I create an environment where every single goalkeeper in the session feels a part of it? And every single goalkeeper sees the benefit and has some fun in, in what they're doing. And I think ultimately that's what it comes down to is I, I have to remind myself sometimes that, you know, you have so you have three goalkeepers in, in a unit. Right. And and each goalkeeper uh, has their own things they're good at. Each goalkeeper has their own things that they have deficiencies in. Um, but the game is a constant. We're, we're always training the game. And, and I sometimes I get caught up in trying to be so specific in creating situations or creating things to help a particular goalkeeper out and, and I have to remind myself that th the game is the best trainer uh, and so how am I going to put you know all three goalkeepers in, in a situation and training each day where they're, they're getting the benefit of it and they're having fun and, and I, I think back to this past year working with you and, and Andrew Dykstra and Ben Bury and, and some of the most fun sessions I had were the sessions where you guys were having fun and we felt like there was uh, there was kind of that, you know, guided discovery of, you know, we're, we're finding out things, we're working on starting positions, uh, you know, we're correcting our footwork, we're, we're moving from point A to point B more efficiently. Like those are the types of things that I, I try to keep in mind when trying to construct an environment in training is how am I going to get these guys to discover something and how am I going to get the most energy out of them each day? Yeah, I think for me, goalkeeper sessions are more fun from a coaching aspect as well as a playing aspect when I can actually be engaged with the session. Um, we're talking about things where we're discussing different opinions because all goalkeepers are different. Like you said, the three goalkeepers that we had this year, Andrew Dykstra, myself and Ben Bury, were all kind of different goalkeepers um, size wise, technique wise. Um, and we were all capable of getting the job done. But we do things differently. So when we're doing different drills, um, you know, Dykstra may do things one way. I have a little bit different technique, so I do things another way. Um, and Ben does things, you know, his way. And some things are more effective for them on on certain aspects, uh, whereas it may be more effective for me. And so my my thing is like I like to discuss those things and understand like what I'm doing wrong, what I can improve on. Um, whereas sessions where it's just like we run through drills and we're going from drill to drill and there's not really a lot of communication. We're just shot, save, shot, save. It just becomes a bit mundane, and it's not really a good learning environment. Uh, that's what I've found. But we talked about, or you touched on earlier, about making the goalkeeper feel like they're a part of this session. So that, that makes me think about recent uh, guests on our podcast. He recently tweeted about the longevity of a goalkeeper coach. So that's something I want to discuss, discuss with you a little bit. Um, he mentioned, like you mentioned, uh, we went through maybe 200 practice sessions uh, throughout the season. You know, in a in a normal day practice session, how many 
you know, balls do you think you strike? I think I probably I probably strike more balls than most because a lot of shots tend to go over the goal, so I'm having to hit shots twice. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would say in a given day, I mean, I could see between warm-up and volleys and, and striking shots off the ground, crosses, et cetera, I would say 300, 300 balls, maybe okay. more. I was on my way up here. I was thinking I'm, I'm on the highway, and I'm trying to run numbers in my head, and I'm like, well – you know, if he starts out with eight volleys at me and he goes with eight volleys at Dykstra and eight volleys at, at Ben, that's that's 24. And that's just one set of volleys. What if we do that four times? We were already at 100 balls and that's just warm up. Um, so I was estimating between 300 and 400. I got kind of sidetracked. The cop threw his lights on behind me. <laughs> um, so, you know, I wasn't sure if I was getting pulled over, <laughs> if I need to get out of the way. Uh, luckily. I got out of the way. It wasn't for me, but that kind of threw me off. But I'm I'm going with around 300 to 400, and that's, I'd say, average. Uh, I'd say some days are higher when we do certain drills, uh, a lot of shot stopping. Uh, but if you think about that, over, over the course of a season, I mean, my math's not great, but we're looking at somewhere around, what, 30,000 shots, yeah. stri strikes throughout the season. How do you... How do you take care of your body or how do you prepare for a session in order to to strike that that many balls as well as what are your thoughts on getting goalkeepers involved in the session where so where you're not striking as much? Yeah, I think those are th those are two really I important things. I think the second one which I'll touch on um I think is a, is a is a great point and one that is a kind of a big thing for me as well as a goalkeeper coach. Uh for me personally, I don't think I've ever done the math and probably I probably didn't want to know the math to know what type <laughs> of stress I'm putting on my body each day. Um for me personally, I've always been kind of a a fitness freak so to speak. I enjoy being active and, and I think uh and this isn't for everyone. I know goalkeeper coaches that, you know, potentially knees are bad and stuff like that, but um you know, I like to be involved in the training session. I, I know exactly what pictures I want from certain situations, whether it be first-time shots or, you know, shots from a, a touch that are coming around a mannequin or a player, um, through balls, crosses, all, all those things. I, I think goalkeeper coaches, and again, strictly opinion, I think goalkeepers coaches need to be involved in the session because ultimately – we're, we're responsible for creating pictures and creating situations that we've seen in matches either that maybe we need to do better in or maybe that opponents are going to show us in, in, a, in a coming up game. So for me, I know exactly what I want, so I need to carry those things out and I need to have the, the physical capacity, whether it be striking shots with, with pace that are going to replicate a shot you're going to see in a game or or making runs that you're going to have to react to by coming off your line. So it, it's really important for me to, to have the capacity, the, the, you know, the endurance to do those things. And, um, you know, I've, I've felt just as exhausted probably as some of you guys by the end of training sessions just because um, I have been so involved. Um, I will say, though, that as I've gotten older and older for me now is 32, which most people will probably tell me to shut up, but that's not that old. I mean, you don't look a day over 28. So. <laughs> I'll take I'll take that. Uh, I have said and I, and I think it's important as well. And, and there's two points to it is um, the, the more that I can get our goalkeepers in training sessions to be a part of it by, you know, taking shots, um, making runs, that's more opportunity for me as a goalkeeper coach to watch the goalkeeper that's working. 
Um, and that's something that I've learned that I've missed out on by, by me being always the one who's taking the shot or hitting the cross. I'm missing out on some of the really, really important technical deficiencies or, or technical things that are going on with the goalkeeper making saves. And, and I think for, for any young goalkeeper coach, I think it's important that you're not always the one who's doing the shooting. You're not always the one who's, you know, trying to go top bin on your goalkeeper. You need to be watching with, with, you know, your sets of eyes and not just glancing up after you hit a shot, but you need to be watching the whole approach of a goalkeeper and then how his set position is, where his hands are, where's the weight and the balance in his feet. Um, those are things that are, that are critical to a goalkeeper's success in, in, a, in the long run. Um, and the other side of that is I want goalkeepers who can produce good service because I think it's such a vital part of, of being in a, in a goalkeeper union in a team. Um, the one advice that I have for all young goalkeepers is you have to get good at service. You have to get good at volleying balls into hands. Uh, you have to get good in, in striking a ball off the floor into hands. Um, you just make yourself very valuable um, in, in sessions. And we joked about it this year uh, with, a, with a goalkeeper that we won't name that was on the Charlotte <laughs> Independence roster. But the ability for him to strike balls on frame and to put things in, into hands for warm-ups and stuff like that is, is so, so important. And, and you know, I've, through, through the grapevine, you hear stories about goalkeepers in the MLS that if the service isn't perfect to their hands, they're, you know, they're, they're punting the ball 40 yards down the field in disgust, and, uh, and that happens. So I, I recommend any goalkeeper, young, uh, you know, college, get good at services, get good at volleying balls, get good at striking you know, shots off the floor because those things are so helpful for goalkeeper coaches and for the goalkeepers you're working with. See, I look at it as, from a player's perspective. I look at it two, two ways. So I agree with you. I want to be able to give consistent uh, service over and over again. So I love, you know, at times going in, striking the ball, whether we're hitting from angles or they're hitting volleys. I want to be able to work on that ball striking because I think it translates over to when we get in the game, am I hitting or can I hit a mid-range ball accurately over 10, 15 yards? Um, that helps with just striking in goalkeeper training. But on the flip side of that, sometimes I'm tired. Uh, that's one. Sometimes I'm tired and I just want to step out of the drill, uh, be done, stand on the sideline and catch my breath. Um, and two, I look at it from a bit of a coaching perspective. I like to see the other goalkeepers and see what they're doing right. Um, and what I think that I can maybe something I can take towards my game or something that maybe they need to work on. Maybe I can help them with that. Or it's just a learning experience for me. So I think it's a mixture of you got to get your goalkeepers involved at some points, but at at other times, you know, maybe let them sit on the sideline and they can learn from what other, the other guys are doing, especially for young guys. Like um, you mentioned earlier, Ben Beery, he was a rookie this past season. Um, I think learning from myself, learning from Dykstra, who combined we've got 20 years in the game, 20 years plus, um, he can learn things from us simply by staying on the sideline and watching. Uh, and I and hopefully he did this year. Um, haven't talked to him in a while, so Ben, hit me up when you get a chance. Um, but let's talk about your new venture. What uh, what do you got going on now? Let the people know. Yeah, so uh, so most people in Charlotte that are familiar with the Charlotte Independence, um, the the USL team. So the assistant coach that was here for four years, Troy Lassane, uh, recently took the head coaching job at New Mexico United. Shouts uh, out to Troy. Congrats, Troy. That's right. That's future boss there. Um, and. Uh, yeah, so New Mexico United is a, is a team in the Western Conference. Um, it's going to be in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it, it, it comes into the USL Championship League 
in 2019. And, and Troy was someone that um, obviously I have a great amount of respect for and, and a close friendship with. So it was, uh, you know, when he called and we talked about the position, it was it was a bit of a, a no brainer in terms of a working relationship. So um, be moving from Charlotte to Albuquerque in January to start up um, fresh with New Mexico United. So you traded the scenery in Charlotte for the drier pastures and a baseball field in New Mexico. <laughs> That's um, right. So, hey, I'm happy for you. I, I know it's a big step in your career, and uh, I can't wait to see what you guys do over there. So tell, tell us, the, the listeners, what it's like to get involved with. Obviously, it's a new team in the league, uh, new franchise. You guys have to go out and find players. Um, what's that experience like? Is that something that kind of led you to – being involved with that, you know, you've been with the independence for a number of years now, uh, but you know, it's get, it's a fresh start on New Mexico, totally something different. You've got to build a fan base, build a, an entirely new club. So uh, tell us what that's like. Yeah, it's a, it's a massive endeavor. And uh, I, I'm on the fortunate end to where, um, you know, just as an assistant coach, you know, goalkeeper coach, my, my role is uh, substantially less than the people who are making the hard hitting decisions, i.e. Uh, Peter Trevisani, the owner, and, and Troy Lesane as the, the head coach and, and technical director. Um, you know, for, for me, things in Charlotte have been incredible and, and have enjoyed this club greatly and the city, in, in, you know, has been incredible. Um, the New Mexico project is a, is a new challenge and a new opportunity from which you know, I think anytime you can get yourself out of your comfort zone and, and challenge yourself in a professional environment like this, I think it's, I think it's good for growth. Um, offers a little bit more responsibility, so there's a chance for me to grow not only as a goalkeeper coach, but as a, but as just a, a soccer coach in general, which is which is important to me. Um, but as far as getting the club going, yeah, there's some there's some massive things that you have to take on when you start a club. Um, I mean, I don't think most people, you know, realize it, but, you know, when you start a club, you're starting from absolutely ground zero. There's no training ground. There's no fans. There's no merchandise. There's no team, um, no locker room. So, you know, for, for to see how it's kind of developed over the last few months um, since I've signed on and, and where things are going to be, such as, you know, your training facility every day, um, you know, how you're going to go about getting nutrition for the players, both, both uh, pre and post training. All those things, it, it, it's such a it's such a large ball to get rolling, um, and, and some of those things take care of themselves. But a lot of it is a, is a lot of hard work, uh, and you need to have a dedicated front office staff to to do those things and to make sure they're done right. Well, you know, I wish you guys the best. I'm looking forward to seeing the growth that you guys have out there, and you know, congrats on this new opportunity. But uh, I want to shift gears a little bit. So we spoke at the end of this past season. Um, and you brought up an interesting idea theory to me um, about the American goalkeeper and where American goalkeeping as a whole is right now. So do you want to explain that to our listeners? Sure, sure. Uh, you know, for, for those who don't know, Brandon and I had quite a few philosophical conversations throughout the year, uh, life and goalkeeping, which a lot of times I feel like is one and the same. Um, and, and one of the things that we discussed was, uh, was a theory I had. And um, it was more of like a, a back to the future doc type theory, was it? Where it wasn't fully developed yet, it, but it was uh, it was a thought I had, and, and there's probably some holes in it, but it's definitely worth it was definitely worth the discussion that we had. But um, you know, being involved in college soccer for so many years, it, you recruiting is such a massive part of what you do, so you're able to see a large, large sample of players in the United States uh, and also internationally, but. Uh, 
the emergence of the U.S. Soccer Academy and the emergence of um, early sports specialization for soccer players in the United States has been so prevalent in the last, I'd say, probably five to ten years. And and the, the discussion that Brandon and I had was I made the point that I think with all the early sports specialization that has gone on with all the early training sessions for, you know, for kids eight years and to 11 years old, I feel like we've lost some of the athleticism that American goalkeepers have been known for, uh, for their ability to to not only make saves, but their ability to make the difficult uh, improv type saves, which I call. Um, and, and I always look at saves in, in two things. You know, there's, uh, I think there's there's type one saves where, you know, it's 90% of the saves a goalkeeper should potentially make, right? Like your routine saves. And I would say probably even lower than that. Maybe say give it 82 to 88% of the shots that a goalkeeper faces during a game um, are, you know, quote unquote, savable, right? They may not make the save all the time, but they're savable. And then you have the other, you know, 10 to 12%, which are the happenstance type situations where it's a deflection or maybe it's a, a shot from three yards out and the goalkeeper's unbalanced, or maybe it's a shot from outside the box that's going to the top corner. Um, the saves that maybe goalkeepers can be given the pass on, right? And, and I think that there's a large amount of athleticism and improbability that goes into making those, say, your, you know, your 10 to 12% saves that maybe aren't made. And so th the argument that I had was, that I think a lot of goalkeepers that the U.S. developed over the last 20 years, your Brad Friedels, your Tim Howards, your Casey Kellers, um, you know, even like a Nick Ramondo and a John Bush, goalkeepers that have been around, you know, been successful on an international level. Um, some, some have been, in, you know, very successful in the, uh, you know, the domestic level in various international leagues, but a lot of them had – uh, and this is no knock to the goalkeepers that are around now because I think we've got a, a very good one in Zach Steffen and, and Alex Bono. But I think that there was a large amount of athleticism created through being a multi-sport athlete as a kid. They, they had the ability to um, be versatile in their movements, to be versatile with their hand-eye coordination, uh, to read things, to react to things. And I think with early sports specialization, what I've seen with a lot of the goalkeepers nowadays is you have some really, really good trainers. They train very well. They're very technical. They're very methodical. They know the game well. But when it comes down to situations of making those improv 10 to 12 percent saves, um, you know, that that little bit, sometimes we miss out on them. And, and I, I think that there's I think there's something to it personally that I think that. We, we put more of an emphasis now on getting started at a young age, which I think, again, there's, there's pros and cons to it. I understand both sides of it. Um, on, the, on the flip side, you've got a great training environment for kids now. I think we're producing outfield players at, at, at a really good rate. Um, but for the goalkeeper side, I think that I'm a big believer in getting goalkeepers that have um, they have a lot of skills and they have a lot of tools in their kit because they've done multiple things. And, and I'm not saying they need to, you know, play basketball all the way up until college. But I think goalkeepers that have, you know, good hand-eye coordination and feet through basketball or tennis or, you know, baseball, learning how to do multiple things. I think I think it has a crossover effect into into a lot of, you know, specific things related to goalkeeping. So what you're saying is the Development Academy has killed the growth and, of and the american goal and now u.s soccer <laughs> is gonna have a hit out for me that is definitely i definitely didn't want that to come across I, I think what the development academy has done has been 
uh, I think it's been incredible for our sport um, in the United States. And for those who aren't familiar with it, uh, you know, it's 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 the highest level um, of, of youth soccer structure in, in the country. And it's extremely high level. You're getting the best players to compete, arguably the best players to compete. Um, but with that structure, I think you lose out on some of that freelance ability and I think you lose out on some of the you know the improbability of, 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 of an athlete okay so where did what does a goalkeeper do these days then because I was actually just working with a goalkeeper two days ago um, a youth goalkeeper going to college next year division one college very high level division one college um, and she was saying she's not playing development academy because she had to choose between high school and the development academy and at this point she already knows where she's going to college so I mean, there's no really no point in her playing in the development academy. She just wants to focus on her game, have uh, fun in high school, and then you know move on to college. So, for for goalkeepers who don't have that choice, or even even goalkeepers who aren't at a level yet, I've had I work with a youth club in Waxhaw, um, and I have parent after parent asking, you know, should my kid who's eight years old focus strictly on goalkeeping or even strictly on soccer right now we don't want him to miss out on development in soccer uh the the opportunities that he may lose out with his team if he's playing another sport uh his coach may not play him as much and you know question after question like that and honestly i don't really know how to answer it because as a goalkeeper coach uh, I, I don't want an eight-year-old to specialize in goalkeeping. Um, I don't want an eight-year-old to specialize in soccer. I want them to be able to play as many sports as possible, um, figure out what they enjoy, what they're good at. And like you said, I think there is some validity to the statement that, you know, you there's a, a lot of things that you just don't pick up on if you don't play other sports. You don't get that different type of athleticism uh, that can help you as a goalkeeper, as an athlete in general, um, just by playing other sports. But at the same time, uh, youth soccer is is a, a massive movement in this country, and things are shifting a bit. So you know, if at a certain age, once you get to like 10, 11 years old, I feel like people have to start making that decision unfortunately because they do miss out on the opportunity to get to the higher teams to where they're going to get better training and more exposure usually um which is what you know the youth clubs will promote but at the same time you've got goalkeepers who are very good at multiple sports and, and you know myself i played played basketball played baseball i played multiple sports up until probably like junior or sophomore year of high school mainly because I enjoyed it and I wasn't forced to make the decision so I think it's tough with what the academy does it, it offers a very good route for players that you know I think players are competing at a much higher level than what I was at when I was in uh, youth soccer but at the same time are they missing out on things so I think it's an interesting discussion discussion um, my question would be where did where did the discussion spark from you know you were you watching the game you're watching the u.s game and you're like you know what he should have made that save maybe if he played basketball he would have <laughs> made that save uh yeah i i don't i don't quite know where the i think the theory more came from um i've had a chance to to train a lot of goalkeepers over over the 10 years that i've been a, a trainer and a coach and I think one of the things that I've I've seen the emergence of in working with academy goalkeepers or working with goalkeepers, not just and I don't mean just U.S. Soccer Academy goalkeepers. I just mean any type of goalkeeper that's in a competitive club environment is 
you've seen where they specialize so early and they've trained so much that they they've almost created the habits of they only know what to do when it's a train type movement if that right. makes sense whereas and I think the the biggest thing that you said that I should have I should have stated more and been specific about as far as not specializing too early is it, it, it's it's something that you you need to have kids and I, and I think the like 8 years old is is typically the age where it starts to get you know really organized but um, you know, I think that's the age where I, I'm, I agree with you. I think that's too early to put kids in an environment and just say, hey, you're a goalkeeper. You're going to train as a goalkeeper for the next 10 years. And then at 18, we're going to reevaluate and see where you're at as a goalkeeper. I think that puts too many uh, strictures on a player. And it's the same thing. You would never just say from an eight-year-old, you're a left back. You're always going to be a left back. You're going to train just as a left back. I feel like most coaches would think that you would develop just basically a robot uh, in that position. So um, I think having the opportunity to work with goalkeepers and to see kind of, you know, the saves that are that are made, that are manufactured, um, and to see how anytime you put a situation where the goalkeeper has to think quickly and maybe make that awkward save where their body's going one way and they have to get their hand the other way, or they have to judge, you know, a, a striker that's running at them with the ball. They have to judge their footwork, the angle of their approach. All those things take athletic skills that are learned by players. And so if you can put a goalkeeper in an environment where they're able to uh, enhance those abilities, not necessarily always on a soccer field, but they still learn lessons as far as their overall athleticism, I think it can be completely beneficial for that person. Uh, I, I look at myself as a young baseball player. The hardest thing to do as an outfielder is to judge a pop fly when it comes off a bat. And there's a direct correlation between balls that get hit like an outfield, like a pop-up, and goalkeepers that are catching crosses. And, and one of the biggest things that I see with youth, goal, youth goalkeepers and crosses is as soon as the cross is hit, what's the first thing they want to do? They want to take a step forward, right. and, and a lot of the times they completely move themselves out of the play and the ball goes over their head. And that's identical to catching a pop fly in baseball, uh, which I know is probably <laughs> probably a hard comparison, but I, you know I see it a little bit. And so uh, for me, when I was starting to collect crosses as a goalkeeper, it became very natural to me to take that pause step and to not be so aggressive that I run myself underneath the ball and the ball goes over my head. So, um, and just a small example, but I think I've seen it enough to where, you know, it, it's. It was worth having a conversation with you and bringing it up, and uh, you see it. I think you see it more prevalent now um, with goalkeepers who have only been in just structured training environments. You know how how can they how can they improv in situations? How is their overall athleticism? How can they adapt to certain situations? So, what do you say to the people that that will point out a European system where players are in you know youth academies from eight, nine, ten years old? Yeah, and that's that's definitely that's the other side of the argument that's really hard to to argue against, so to speak. Is the European model has obviously been extremely successful, uh, and, and the goalkeepers there, um, you know, there's there's obviously too many to list. But if you look at a lot of the uh, a lot of the goalkeepers in Europe, and uh, the ones that are successful, um, you know, they either set themselves apart with really really high level of athleticism and reaction times, like a like a Hugo Lloris, who, who for example I think is, um, you know, his ability to jump, his ability to make saves away from his body, and his reactions are are incredible. Um, 
And if you look at his technique, his technique's not necessarily the greatest in the world. He, he's a goalkeeper that by and large stays on his line and relies solely on athleticism to make saves. Um, as opposed to uh, some other goalkeepers that are around, like like an Allison at, at Liverpool, where you know his athleticism is good, but his, it, one of his defining qualities is his ability with his feet. Uh, Ederson, another one, where you know I think Ederson's feet are probably some of his best qualities, and he and he's a great shot stopper for sure. Um, but these guys have grown up in an environment where you know the benefit for them is that they've grown up in a structured environment where they're able to play as a as an eleventh man on the field and use their feet. Um, so it's definitely a tough argument when you compare the European goalkeepers with with the U.S. goalkeepers. But I think my my concern at the end of the day is the you know the development of American goalkeepers and and who's our next who's our next Tim Howard who's our next Brad Friedel. And you brought up Ederson, so I think that's a nice segue into uh, our last talking point for the podcast. So we looked at this video um, right before we started the podcast. Um, your former, one of your former players at uh, the Charlotte Independence tweeted out a video of Ederson uh, making a no-look pass. Um, I think it was against Wofford yesterday in their 2-1 win. And this this player is a forward, Eamon Zayed. I'm going to give you throw his name out there. Pretty popular in social media, Twitter, social or Instagram. Um, and you know he's not happy that Ederson's making a no look pass in the middle of a game uh, inside his own 18 uh, to one of his players. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, when I saw the video, uh, and today was the first time I had seen it. Um, I think my response would be somewhat similar to Eamon's response in that I, I don't think I would ever want my goalkeeper trying a no-look pass when building out of the back. Um, I, I think, but that's my nature is I always expect, and maybe this is the, the cynic in me, I always expect the worst possible thing to happen in any outcome. So for me, I would never want my goalkeeper to put himself in a situation that would uh, flirt with disaster like that because I think you've, you've seen too many things go wrong playing out of the back as is, um, just playing normally, let alone taking your eyes off the target that you're, you're trying to pass to. Um, on the flip side, and, and to be counter-arguative with myself, um, you know, I think Ederson's got a extremely, extremely high ceiling of ability to play with his feet. Uh, and Man City absolutely preaches, uh, you know, building out of the back, and they they do it to a fault. And so, you know, to him, if he feels like that's something that's going to allow him to be successful in doing that, then that's a that's a skill that Ederson has, and only he has. Um, if it was you and we were, I was coaching you this past year, and you tried to no look pass, the video session would not be a friendly <laughs> one. That's all I'll say. All right. So you touched on two points. Um, um, for why I absolutely disagree with Eamon here. Okay, so one, would you tell Steph Curry not to take a 40-foot jumper? Uh, given his uh, high rate of, of hitting shots like that, no, I would not. All right, so given Ederson's high rate of completing balls, whether they're five yards away, whether they're uh, 50 yards away, whether it's a diag, whether it's a ball right down the middle, why would you limit Ederson to, to not play uh, no look pass when he's clearly capable of it my, my argument for that if we're going to use basketball as the analogy is if Steph misses a 40-foot jumper no one's saying anything no one's going to say anything and he's going to get her, they're going to get the rebound and that's it um, if Ederson does not complete that no look pass and say he gets nicked by a forward then they give up a goal that's substantially greater risk um, that would be all right but we're assuming that he's going to give up a goal I think that like you said in the system that Man City plays, 
Pup's telling him, like, we're playing, we're playing, we're playing out of anywhere, and he's very capable of doing it. So why are we trying to limit the risk when we're taking risk all over the field? And you've got to have a goalkeeper who's confident enough to take those risks. Also, it's a calculated risk. It's not like Ederson's shaky with his feet. I mean, I I hate to do it to him, but, like, it's not Joe Hart in goal. You know, I've, if if Joe's playing that, <laughs> I I, I want to preface this by saying I rate Joe Hart. Uh, I know he's been through tough times recently. Sorry, I Joe. think I still think he's a great <laughs> goalkeeper, and um, you know, I I'd, I'd pick him any day for one of my squads. But he's not as good with the feet as Ederson, so it's a calculated risk. Do I want Joe Hart playing that ball? No, but do I want Ederson, who does that in his sleep, to play that ball, and we can get out, uh, break the pressure, and and move forward up the field? Yeah. I don't I don't mind that at all. And you're telling your goalkeeper not to take risks. You know what else is a risk? A 60-yard side volley to try and find one of your forwards where a ball can get nicked by a center back and they're coming right back at us. So at what point do you tell your goalkeeper to not take risk? I understand that risk is 60 yards away from goal, but three passes and they can be back in your 18. So I'm just not – I'm not a fan of the way the whole tweet was phrased. And I'm just not a fan of, of limiting someone, especially like Ederson, t- um, in a field where he's clearly one of the better players with his feet, regardless of field player or goalkeeper. Like, yeah, I don't want to tell him, no, you can't play balls down the middle because, you know, you could possibly give it away. Well, you know, you just that just makes him hesitate and makes him question his abilities, not just with his feet, but questioning himself as a goalkeeper. I think that the the pass itself for me, uh, one of my favorite passes from a goalkeeper is the one where forwards are pressed high up the field. They think they've stitched the goalkeeper up and doesn't have an option, and it's that pass that Ederson made. It's right through the middle. You connect to a six or an eight, and the team is off and running, and you're out of your own half. I think for me, the thing that probably has upset people is probably the arrogance, may I say, or the (laughs) the confidence of the no-look pass uh, from the goalkeeper. Which I think, you know, looking on the other end, Firmino at uh, at Liverpool is is very well known for his no look. Does goals. it on the daily? Yes, and he I, does. Trading and in games, so I understand Firmino's sixty seventy yards away from the the goal when he does it, um, which understandably is much less of a risk. But at the same time, I mean, if my goalkeeper has confidence to do it. And you know, I want him. I want him to do it. And I think a ball like that, like you said, it cuts out. It can cut out so many players. And now we've got more room for our midfielders to play, and we've got more options going forward. So uh, obviously, it depends on what your coach wants. Um, if you know, if my coach is telling me don't play that ball, don't play that ball, and I play that ball, um, I have to be willing to accept the consequences. Uh, but for Ederson, I think that's a ball nine out of ten times he he uh, completes, and. I don't think it's much of an issue. So I don't think it's one of those things where, you know, Eamon said no goal, young goalkeeper should look at that and, and aspire to do something like that. I think every goalkeeper should aspire to be that good with his feet um, because, I mean, that's the ceiling right now. And if you can if you can get anywhere close to that, you're going to be a pretty good u- or useful keeper uh, with your feet. And, and you, you know, you got to focus on other aspects of goalkeeping. But uh, a big differentiator in the game today for a goalkeeper is how good they are with their feet. Um, and I think Ederson is setting the bar for that. I, I would agree. I think the only thing I would say is, and, and to your point, is you, you don't ever want to discourage young players, especially goalkeepers, from taking risks that they can learn from, right? And I think 
Ederson's obviously taking a big risk there with with potentially you know having a no look pass out of the back. But um, the coach in me says you know you do what you think can be successful, and if at any point it becomes unsuccessful, then that's where the coaching comes in. Um, you know that's where the hey listen maybe we try a different technique next time. Um, but yeah, you don't ever want to turn a player off, and and training's obviously the best place for that. But you don't ever want to turn a player off from trying to take risks and learn what the boundaries are, especially goalkeepers. Well, Joe, I uh, I don't want to keep you too long today. I know you got places to be. I haven't eaten in probably like five hours, so I'm a little hungry. So I think that's good for today. You know, I I thought we had some good conversation. I'm glad I was able to get you on the podcast. I know you're a busy man, but. I hope our listeners really enjoyed uh, what you had to say, and I look forward to you know possibly getting you back on here in the future. I appreciate you having me. Glad we finally had a chance to sit down and do this. So all the best in New Mexico next season. Um, if we meet in the championship, I don't wish you all the best, but <laughs> other than that, I hope you guys uh, do well out there in the Western Conference. And uh, you know that's it for today. Thank you, sir. Another great interview filled with great goalkeeping discussion and insight. Thank you again to New Mexico United goalkeeper coach Joel Tyson for hanging out with us today. As always, if you guys have suggestions or comments for us, head over to primefocusgoalkeeping.com and send us a message. Let us know what you guys think and how we can improve. We want to thank you to listening for our podcast and helping us grow. Until next time, you guys take care. 